Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we seek you and need you and love you. We're grateful for our volunteers and people who help keep the ministry going. We pray that your uh, spirit will be with us tonight as we just try to communicate something that would be of you. And uh, do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I left my phone in the car, and I did that on purpose because on my phone, I have access to this thing called Facebook. And on Facebook this past week, uh, I have been uh, engaged uh, with a friend, uh, foe, friend, I'm not sure, about the faith. And I really, he opened it up to, I guess, his page. That's how it works. And on his page, there were a number of very critical remarks about my person from a show that we did, uh, me explaining how I see the faith, meaning it's fulfilled. And so uh, we used to have a sign on our set here that, that said Disgrace Book. And for more than a decade, I, avoid face, I avoided Facebook personally and never got on, didn't have a page. And, uh, but this last year, I decided I'd get on there because I'm trying to promote some things that are coming up in the future. And it's really been a disgraceful uh, event on my part and on other people's parts. I, I can't believe the thing. I, I, I think I just kind of knew that it would be bad for me in terms of pissing me off and bringing out the worst in me when it came to uh, concepts. Because you can write just a simple thing. Mary had a little lamb, and you get 10,000 ideas, and it winds up being eating meat is evil. I, mean, I don't even know what happens suddenly. Everybody just throws in, and it just blows up. Well, um, I avoided it like the plague, and this last week, it just really got bad, and got nasty, and so tonight I was going to spend a good amount of time bringing up on my phone specific names of people and their comments about my heresy and not being a Christian and being a false prophet and a cult leader and all sorts of, of things, and I mean, it was on my brain. And this morning I woke up, my, my wife and I get up early, she was getting ready to go to work, I was laying in bed and I was thinking, okay, I could throw this out, I could do that. I was really developing a lot of uh, things that would really crush some of the things that had been asserted on there. And I talked to God, I talked to him like a man would talk to a friend. Uh, I don't get answers always or insights always, but I just bring him into the conversation um, because as a Christian, I think that's what we're supposed to do. And as I was kind of just saying, how should I go about this, you know? This is important that on the show, I stand up for this, and this is important that I do this and, and all that. And the question came to me, and it was to the effect of, who are you? I don't know if God asked it or if I asked it myself, and it was self-reflective, and there's a lot of answers to that. You know, I'm the son of Ed and Lou. I'm a brother of Bridget and Bo. I'm I'm uh, married to Mary. I'm the father of uh, uh, Mallory Cassidy and Delaney. I'm the grandfather to Laser and Samson, and on. And I'm a son, a father-in-law to Matt and Nicholas. So, and I'm the host of a of a show that's been around a little bit. I write. I teach. I pastor. You know. And as I thought on those things, the the thought kind of came to me: Is that who you want to be? And is that the ultimate goal, those things? 
And my answer is absolutely not. Those things I do, I'm blessed to do them, I love to do them, but the overall goal came to me that who I want to be is a son of God. That came to me very clearly. So when I said, who are you, I ultimately came to, I want to be a son of God. And it, it almost, it wasn't a voice, but it almost came right back to me, then act like it. Came right back, then act like it. And uh, I had to really think about that, you know. I can be a lot of things, and I can do things, and we all do different things, right? But what is the ultimate goal in your life? And I can tell you, you know, in my life, it's to be, it's to wind up being, because I don't think it's an overnight event. I think I've become a child, but to be a son is different. So it just hit me. So then as I was driving into work in the morning, I remembered learning in a marriage and family uh, class that was mandated at Brigham Young University uh, a topic on si uh, sibling rivalry. And that study showed that siblings in a family, when they are constantly fighting, is often an attempt for the children to get more attention and love from the parents. And hence, sibling rivalry is one child trying to say in front of the parents, I'm more important, look at me, I, I, need, I need you to give me more uh, uh, credit or whatever it is. And uh, so I thought about my brother, who I've been having this battle with online, and, and he's a sibling in the family of God. I, I believe he is a brother. In fact, I believe anyone who is seeking God through Christ is a brother or sister. And I realized that I have been guilty of trying to get more approval more love, more attention, uh, and kudos from God than some of my counterparts in other faith approaches. I realize that I'm trying to say, look, God, I'm doing it the right way. Look, I, I'm approaching it the way that is the best way, right? And, and I believe that. I do believe it, or I wouldn't do it the way I'm doing it. But nevertheless, uh, I'm kind of like that son who is trying to still get dad and mom to look at him and say, love me more, you know, give me more attention. And uh, because I'm outdoing my brothers and sisters, you know, they're doing this. Look at them. Look at those Catholics. Look at those Mormons. Look at those guys there and look at her over there. Oh, man, dude, God, I'm not doing that. And, and we have sibling rivalry and, and they attack me and I attack them. And it's just like in, in a home. So I forgot, sort of, that God loves every one of us unconditionally. Now, people will argue with that, but that's okay. He loves every one of his creations unconditionally. He is not a, uh, how do they say it, a respecter of persons. He doesn't love Prince Charles more than he loves the drunk on the street by my house. He does not because he's Prince Charles. He's not a respecter of persons. He's not going to love me more because I can juggle better than my other brother. He's not going to love me less. Uh, he's not going to save me more. None of those things are going to happen. He is love. And I have fully his love. 
So, but if I'm a son, then what I do if I'm a son is I would do his will. So, so his love is right. Now, if I'm a son in that family, or if you're a daughter in that family, then we're not trying to earn his approbation or more love or anything. We're just trying to do what our loving father wants us to do. And our loving father wants us to get along with the other siblings. Our, and I, re, I grew up this morning, first day of 2019, which happens to not be my birthday. But uh, that is what he wants. I literally grew up this morning in my faith because that's what he wants from me. He wants me to get along with the other kids in the family. He doesn't want me to try to get more attention from him. I don't need it, right? So last year we had a number of guests on the show and one of them was Dr. James White of Alpha Omega Ministries. He's a world-renowned debater and he means well and he's a brother. He's a sibling. And he uses scripture and if you watch the show, that guy could not figure out what the heck he was talking to when he was talking with me. And he ended up, uh, he kind of assumed, of course, that his positions were, were all spot on, which is what we all do, me too. And, but he assigned to me this title of that I'm a walking contradiction. He said that. And perhaps I am. I'm the sibling that's the walking contradiction in the family, in the household of God. And perhaps our ability to fully capture all that God has for us leads us to being contradictory in ways and that we just don't normally fit the model if we don't follow along with the way certain people see the faith. And in fact, it seems to me like sometimes you're in your destination and everything looks yellow and then you look another place in scripture and you see everything looks blue and these contradictions are constantly coming up. This is not to say that God is contradictory in the least ever. Uh, but perhaps our ability to figure him out is impossible. And when we try and we demand others agree with our assessment, we wind up becoming less than what he wants from us as his children. And we wind up in our effort to try to capture him and describe him and follow him perfectly, becoming idiots and, and mean and judgmental. And... You know, it is so prevalent in the faith. Just at six o'clock this morning, I was guilty of it as much as any of you. It's natural for us to do it. It's sort of like the thing where it's really nice to be right, but it's much more right to be nice in God's eyes. You know, we all want to be right with God. And that's really nice, but it's much more nice to be right. I mean, much more right to be nice. So that stuff is lost in our dogmatic minds, our search for certainty, our desire to have it pinned down and know and demand that everybody else know what we know and do what we do. And it's this very dogma that has allowed men and women over the ages, myself included, I'm not picking on anyone specifically, but it has allowed us in the name of God to ostracize other others and to ridicule others, punish others, 
call them names, put them to death, all in the name of being right with God as being more important than being nice. And I see this attitude every time I open Facebook. And I'm guilty of participating in it. In fact, I apologized on, on the thing this, this past week, saying I'm sorry for insulting people. And, and I did. On the other hand, I also see zealous humanism on the Facebook. And it is out there trying to pick apart the family of God and, uh, and mocking every form of dogma with the, the worldly ways. And is there a middle ground? And I suggest that there is. And I, and I suggest this middle ground is what we have in common in the family of God. And that is Jesus. He's the middle ground. Heaven above, totally objective heaven, God not wishy-washy on anything. And we have humans, totally subjective experience down here. We're trying to figure out what we see and believe. And hanging in between heaven and earth was him. And he brought heaven down and he took earth up and he reconciled the world to God. And, and he did that through love. And so that intermediary between the objective truth of God and the subjective experience of humans is all focused on him and what he did. God's only true human uh, begotten son. And, and Paul says now that God in Christ has reconciled the world to himself. That's the words he uses in 2 Corinthians. He goes on and he says, now reconcile yourself to God. And so here we are. I did some reconciling of myself to God this morning. Not easy. Not easy. And, 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 you can, and we know that over the course of Heart of the Matter, I continue to reveal, expose myself, as it were, for the foolishness and and hopefully that you can learn by my, my mistakes of, of how bad you can get in your certitude and demands that everybody see the world like you see it. It's such great news that God has reconciled uh, all of us through his son and invites all of us to now be reconciled to him. Door, open door policy now through his son. Come on in. Uh, my son made that door open. I am, I am here. Do you want to be reconciled to me? I'm reconciled to you. To love him and love others as he desires. But I've got to warn you, when you cut your teeth on certain worldviews, which I did, uh, to get to the place where you can become free to love, I'll say that again, to get to the place where you can become free to love, and I mean really love people as they are, where they are, what they believe, what they do, who they are, as badly as they bother you, and it is brutal. You have to let go of all that stuff that makes us want to be right. You have to. As long as you look out at others and say, wrong, 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 it's impossible for you to say love, 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 love. They don't work together. Now, they may be wrong. You can, you, can, you can understand that they're in error, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean that you get to judge them or I get to judge them, right? The price for arriving at the place of being able to love, I've visited this place a few times in my life. I've visited, and the price is... Pain and suffering. 
It is difficult. It is the true definition of being crucified with Christ because you're throwing your body up there and saying, not my will, but yours. And it takes a tremendous amount of desire to follow and serve the living God. It's the pain of looking really closely in the mirror at yourself first and at your heart and at your mind and at your motives. It's the insufferable effort to test all things and to then even let go of things that are so important to you, that mean so much to your worldview. You have to be willing to let some of that go if you're going to arrive at that place where love thrives. And uh, so as a means to communicate this, and this is the first time in Heart of the Matter history, um, I am uh, someone who dabbles in art. And what I mean by that is not in the art business of buying and selling, but I dabble in uh, creating art or what I call art. Some of you will not see it as art at all. And we put a, 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 a recent work that's going to go in Beehive Legal in downtown Salt Lake City this Thursday or Friday. This thing behind me is going to hang in Beehive uh, Legal. And I want to go through and explain through this piece of art what I'm trying to convey through some words here. So Seth's going to uh, move in with his trusty camera. And I am going to grab this podium. And Dave is going to focus in from behind. And Wendy is going to work behind the scenes and we'll see if we can put this thing together for you and help it make sense of what I'm trying to say. So this is a four foot by eight foot uh, panel of half inch acrylic uh, plastic. And it's, uh, it's really hard stuff. And uh, it looks, the whole sheet looks like this black shiny surface uh, when you start out with it, okay? And so what I've done is I've tried to take this panel and to help represent the, uh, the, the movement uh, that humans make towards finding and discovering truth, okay? And so what I've done is I've made it work this way, that this is young life, and this is pro making progress through this world in discovering truth. And so what I've done is I've represented young life in this, this black part that is seamed together with the steel wire. And this is, this is everybody's life uh, when we first start as infants, all the way down to the other end. And every one of those wires that are, that are bridging this gap between the two they represent the lessons that we are taught by people growing up. That when you use the restroom, you always wash your hands. That on Sundays, you go to church. That Easter, you eat turkey or ham or whatever it is. And so all of these things, they are just representative of the things that we find certainty in as children. Now, the steel bar right here that is behind these wires represents the influence our parents and family have on us at this young age. And I made it steel underneath these steel wires to show you how much they grip us and how firm and strong they are in how we think and who we are. 
So when we sign into Facebook and we start having these discussions with people, we don't realize what this looks like for every single person. We have no idea what's going on in the background of that. We don't know if they're sick. We don't know if they were abused. We don't know anything about them. We just assume they see the world like we do, and it causes this. So that's the first thing to realize about ourselves is that we are all bound up under steel wire by our birth and upbringing and our genetics, etc. Most people say some point in their life, I'm going to test and challenge that thing. I'm not going to wash my hands after I use the bathroom. I'm going to see if I die. So that means they start to scratch at the surface. And when you start scratching at the surface of what mom and dad taught and what your teachers said and your scout leaders and the, and the, and the kid down the block who was abusive to you when you were nine, when you start to scratch, you start to come into other things. And these things, you scratch deep to say, is there truth here? You don't find it. And you move on, you scratch here and you don't find it. And you run into different things that kind of give you reflection and, and a place to land. And, and sometimes you'll come into a, a something like this. This might be, you know, a scouting experience. And, and, and you land in that colored spot and, and it's surrounded by this metal ring and you chew to get inside. And once you get inside, you experience scouting. And some people stay there their whole lives. They see the whole world through the eyes of a scouter. We see them sometimes in public. They're grown men wearing their outfit, right? And they have other young men with them and they love scouting because it does so much. Now, this isn't just an exact science. We all have different parts of ourselves in different places here, but it's just representational. This could be scouting. Uh, this part here is, is, is a square, solid piece, probably two inches, inch and a half of acrylic. And this to me represents drugs. And, and you see you bore in and you're trying to get in and you get inside this thing and you think that there's life in it, but you are totally removed from everything else. It even allows you to extend out from the surface of scratching. It takes you the other direction. You're not just boring down now. You're coming out and you think you have become enlightened, but it's just a trap. All of these things are trapped. This might represent industry. You get your job, you're a lawyer, you're an accountant, you're a construction worker, and you live your life in that. Here's another religion. This is Mormonism. Here's Catholicism. Here's Buddhism. These st steel things, these are solid steel borders. And you scratch and get above, you leave, you come up here, and you can't move upward. Maybe this is, I came from a poor family, I'll never make it in life. Maybe this is, I was molested by my, my stepdad. I can't get around this. You know, we all have them impeding ours. Here's, here we have the golden plates, perhaps. And here we have other steel things. Here we have a mixture of steel and color. And people who mix that all think, well, I've got it down. You know, it's just, here we have religion. This represented by the Star of David under this thick acrylic with centuries and centuries of, of history. And they have the symbol that you abide in, you know, all of it going on. This is a, a, a it, it pretends to be a beautiful flower that you can touch, but it is made of uh, metal and it will cut you to shreds if you get into it. 
all of it emblematic of the journey to scratch and scratch and get through. And once people have gone through, some people landing forever in these different circles and choosing to stay, and we meet them on Facebook and in daily life all the time, myself included. You're stuck right here, and this is your world. You can't see beyond it. You're down inside this, and you think this is truth. But the problem is from this, you cannot really understand anybody else. And you re- I know we really, truly believe we're right. I know that's what every religious basis is on. Christians of certain denominations, they know they're right. They know they're right. But they're not right completely. They have truth. So what happens is you get to this space. And this is the worst space to be. This has got to be cleaned. But you, gotta, you get into this place, and this is I call the blackness of resignation. And it's when maybe you've traveled through, and you proudly say, well, I was once a Mormon, and I've done this, and I've done that, and I did drugs, man, I did them so much. And then I came out, I came to find Jesus, and a whole new world. And you stop here, and you say, I have certainty. I know exactly what I think. I'm not changing. And you stick in this black resignation of certainty that you know that Jesus is coming back. You know it. You know because of what you've been taught at this level and in this place and over here that there's a hell and it lasts forever. You know, and you're in the black stage of resignation. And you're not challenging that. You spent too much time searching in these few places to come up with your ideas. And so anybody who challenges you, they're just dead wrong. Wrong. Not going to listen to you, right? Not only are you resigned to your thoughts, you pick on anybody and everybody who differs with you. You call them names. It's, that's why it's black. It's the dark part. It's interesting. It's the only place where you can see your reflection when you look in there. Because that's you now. It's you taking over and saying, I dominate my world. I know what I know. I know what I think. I am here and I'm not going anywhere else. It happens to people when they're young. It happens to them when they're older, certainly. That's why you get foggy old men, grumpy old men and stuff. But some people, they will say, even though I've traversed through all of this, I've come through hell and back, I've hit this, I fell in that, I resigned myself. Some people say, I'm not giving up. And they go to try to go higher, to find that truth, that freedom that's in Christ. And what do they find? All the way, I purposely extended this all the way to the border. Here, all the way across, there's no getting around it. This is where you hit the wall. This is where you dig and dig and you keep coming up with been there, done that. God doesn't talk to me. The heavens are hollow. I I just can't get anything. I I don't know where to go. I don't want to go back to, to resignation. I know there's something beyond. I can sense it. I know there is. But it's a, it's a space that's tough. And most people, when they hit this, it is so difficult to get through and to get over that they just hit back in here or they go back to here. And these places, they'll always welcome you. 
I mean, they, they live for welcoming people back. Every one of them. The drug culture, you go from uh, this back to this, they'll love you. The churches, the religions, work, anybody who can capture you and put you into slavery, they'll accept you back. They're all calling you backward. But those who want freedom to love, make it through, climb through this stuff, and get here. No borders. All colors that are down here exist in that, in the one. I, 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 it's just representational of God. It's, represent, it's representational of, of his unconditional love. God is love. It does not, it, it allows for you to be pink here and them to be yellow here and them to be purple here. It's not a rainbow thing. It's just that this represents the place you want to get to. Why? Because here you're absolutely capable and able to love. Now, I don't know if you can stay here. I made it wide and I made it broad without borders. I guess you can only stay here at death because our flesh is always causing us to get back in here and I'm living proof of that. But this is the goal. This is the goal and it only happens through Christ. It happens through him because he first loved us and it allows us to love others. When you recognize yourself as having been loved by him while you were yet still a sinner. And he loved you unconditionally in this space. When you enter that, you're free to love. You're free to abstain from judgment. You're free from all the certitude that kept you from seeing other people's points of view. You can have your own beliefs, but you don't let them get in the way of loving others. That's what God wants of his children, for his children to love each other. That's what he wants. And all the rest of it, I don't think, you know, and love manifests itself in different ways, service and labor and giving and kindness and all those things, but that's what he desires from us. All of these things have their own agenda. They want to take you and keep you and have you follow what they want you to do. You got to see the difference now. And this is why I am so hard on organized religion. I know it's good. I'm going to go sit back down. I know that organized religion helps people. Uh, and I know that it can be a benefit to people. But most of the time, and every single religionist will tell you that I'm wrong, but most of the time, the rules and strictures and practices and doctrines of organized religion cause us to become chained to judgment and therefore harsh opinion and therefore a lack of freedom and therefore non-love. It's really difficult to be a Latter-day Saint and know that you have the truth and the guy next door to you doesn't, to not condemn them in your mind. It's really difficult for you to be any religion that says you must receive our way 
in order to truly be following God, uh, it's really difficult to be able to excel in love because, for the very reason of what they demand of you. And we just don't see that. What we see is certainty for ourselves captured in those little steel rings of color. And we love it so much. And it gives us this feeling. It's like being in the swimming pool in the summer and you're just having a great time and you don't know what's going on anywhere else in the world and you think this is the life. Not realizing that there's a Hawaii full of waves that are moving that you could be surfing on and not just be in some chlorinated pool. You just get locked in. I'm not against religion. I'm just against what it does to people. If people could attend the Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, the, the Buddhist temple, the whatever, and if they could not, if they could step outside of it and love like they should and could without it, then go to the religion. But in my experience, religions have never facilitated true love in, in their congregates. And that's why I've been so ardently against it. But this morning, God let me know. You don't need to be an apologist and you don't need to be the one who's calling everybody out doing things wrong. Let them have their way. You need to be my son and my son will love because that's what my only begotten son did. And if you want to be like him, do the same. So I know some of you are expecting a different kind of show tonight because I said it was going to be a, a challenge, an open challenge. And it is. The open challenge is uh, to love each other. And those of you who consider me a, a heretic and a, a cult leader and demon worshiper, whatever, uh, I'm going to learn to love you with your opinion of me. And I'm going to learn to love you with your religiosity. And I'm just asking you the open challenges for you to do the same thing. If we're not doing that, we got nothing. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. You got nothing if you don't have the love. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter.